Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reports that the NBA is going to allow players to invite family members and friends inside the Orlando bubble, but only those friends with whom they have, quote, longstanding relationships, and specifically, People they've met online but not in person are not allowed. Uh, I will now ask the obvious question. Where does this leave Lou Williams's favorite chicken wing delivery person? Uh, is, she, is she in or out? Uh, and, uh, and will the wings still taste okay after they spend seven days in quarantine? Uh, well, first, a shout out to uh, Woj, who's my uh, former Bergen record teammate. Uh, mm-hmm. We shared a few years of chasing uh, Patrick Ewing going for that playoff championship and never quite getting it. Um, remember when the Nets... Uh, maybe a dozen years ago or so they were chasing and really not chasing that record, the longest ever losing streak to start a season. And uh, I arrived at the Meadowlands uh, arena around the same time as Woj and who also lives in New Jersey because, you know, well, who could resist? So he left. But um, as far as the topic, um, yeah, I, I say who gets a proverbial backstage pass will indeed be interesting. Um, <laughs> I can take you to the free internet days when, uh, you know, I saw firsthand that even then there were some enterprising young ladies who somehow knew exactly which hotel lobby to frequent after NBA games and before and after practices and before. But back then, players were frankly far less serious about their physical conditioning. And at today's NBA stars are they're not that they're angels, but especially with the best teams, I think these guys want to win a championship. And I give 2020 NBA players a lot more credit for being able to be sensible, shall we say, than 1990 players. Um, so I think we might be okay, uh, frankly, particularly because once a player's uh, season is over, a uh, good time has never been easier to find, shall we say. <laughs> Well, even so, though, you got to you got to quarantine your good time partner for a little while or get him tested if you really want to be safe. But uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right about the the, the current uh, NBA players, especially the ones that are here in the bubble with with maybe the notable exception of uh, Lou Williams and his little chicken wing. Uh, John, most of them, it seems, uh, have been uh, all f- focused entirely on business. And, you know, uh, Rocky's trainer Mickey's assertion that women weaken legs. Um, we, we've seen that tested the last couple couple of weeks. Uh, you know, you look at the guys who are really playing well, you know, Damian Lillard, Devin Booker, a, a guy who emerged like Gary Trent Jr. You have to wonder, should they spend the rest of their careers in quarantine throughout the season? I don't know. It's, it's, it's something to think about, especially uh, if if one of them drops off precipitously in the second round of the playoffs after the wife or girlfriend or exotic dancer yeah. at a chicken wing joint comes to visit. I don't know. Uh, there might be a betting edge to be had here. I need some advanced metrics on women weakening legs. Yeah, I, 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 guess, uh, I still think that these guys, especially on the top five or six teams, um, I, I think they're all in. I, I, you know, uh, you always, I just like to uh, lean toward back in the good old days and all that. But now today's athlete is uh, treating his body as more of a temple and a machine. Yeah. And they don't, you know, whether it's alcohol, drugs, 
whatever, uh, they're pretty careful about what's going on. And um, and as I say, the, the flip side is that's because it's so it's so easy to have a good time after you're done anyway. So uh, right. I, I I really am confident about this bubble working out. Yeah, no, it's really just like us. We treat our bodies and minds like a temple right up until we're done recording the podcast, and then we go out and have a good time. There you go. Exactly. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 104 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 103 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please subscribe, rate, review, tell 10 friends, and tell each of them to tell 10 friends. That's the kind of exponential rate of transmission we endorse. Oh, here, here. Yeah. And uh, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Jeff Corral. He's the owner of the Metal Lens Racetrack in New Jersey, also Tioga Downs and Vernon Downs in New York State, uh, both uh, racetracks as well. Um, he's going to discuss the state of the horse racing industry during the pandemic, what will become of the doping scandal that was just becoming huge news back in March when coronavirus hit. Um, but first, it's been a pretty busy news week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Let's open up the news segment with some July revenue reports, and we have quite a few of them to analyze right now. The big one is New Jersey, the state that has weathered the pandemic better than any other in terms of gaming revenue. And in the first partial month of Atlantic City casinos being open again, Total gaming revenue was $264.5 million, down just 20.9% from a year ago, Uh, particularly notable because Borgata reopened with just a few days left in the month. So uh, really not such a huge fall off, all things considered. Uh, Online Casino posted its fourth straight month over $80 million at a record $87.5 million. And the big news came in sports betting handle, which was $315 million. A huge number considering July only had two days of NBA action and about a week of MLB action, which bodes very well for August. Moving to other states, Indiana cleared $1 billion in total sports betting handle since legal betting began last September. And in July specifically, the state saw $70.9 million in handle, more than doubling June's $29.8 million. The trend was pretty much the same in Iowa, where $22.9 million was wagered, almost double the previous month's $12.7 million. The only place where we don't see encouraging signs for sports betting is Washington, D.C., where the much-maligned Gambit app from the D.C. lottery has produced just $1.2 million in handle in its first two months combined, although the large VIGs have resulted in strong revenue relative to handle $237,000. John, sports are back, so everywhere but D.C., betting is up. But are you surprised by how much it's up in July when there were still no major team sports for three quarters of the month? And what about the Atlantic City numbers? Do the casinos have a shot in a full month in August at equaling August 2019 revenue? Uh, well, I think I want to go after D.C. first. Um, okay. I feel that that story is is broadly misunderstood. Um, they haven't so much as legalized sports betting there as they have added an additional industry product for the lottery that incorporates some skill, although with a terrible vig. Um, so that's really what it is. I mean, the major downside is that this new lottery product does nothing to encourage DC residents to cancel their illegal offshore sports betting accounts. So right. it's not working on that front. But as a lottery product, it makes a lot of money and it's guaranteed to make money, so they can't lose. So uh, I don't particularly like it, but I think from a 
you know, taxpayer standpoint, it's not terrible because they add some new product that brings in some new revenue. Uh, it just doesn't uh, fight against the illegal uh, gambling product, which is a problem. Uh, as far as New Jersey, I've spoken to a number of current and former lawmakers of late, and the combination of being a pioneer state in online casino gaming in 2013 and being the David that toppled the Nevada sports betting Goliath at the Supreme Court in 2018 and the sensible reopening of Atlantic City casinos about a month ago, it, it's all kind of amazing. I mean, if you spend time in a state house in Trenton, as I have, and these guys have practically lived there, uh, nobody delights at uh, seeing in how the sausage gets made and you think you're never going to see something come out right. But um, in the case of gambling, the legislators and now the governor um, – they have got a lot of things right, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, that number is, is pretty uh, encouraging. I mean, any business out there, I don't care what it is, if they can get 80% of their revenue from a year ago, they say, yeah, I can make that work. I can keep the payroll. I can keep the employees. You know, I'll get by. I may not make the money I want to make, but um, I hang in there, and so that's really good. Um, so that said, I don't even think that a stellar sports betting slate in August can quite – counteract the likely decline in brick and mortar revenue in what often is Atlantic City's biggest month. So, But even the question being asked, which is a fair one, mm-hmm. is a win for the state. They're, they're in the discussion about whether they can almost break even you know, in a pandemic. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, Iowa and Indiana numbers are nice because those states are newer to legal gambling, yet consumers are finding what was sort of a half-full, half-empty sports betting plate in July, and they're getting after it. So I'm impressed by that, too. All right. Yeah. A bunch of things to uh, weigh in on here. One thing um, I saw someone say this on Twitter. I don't remember who, but I just want to make clear that I'm not taking credit for this analysis, but I do think think it's very sharp analysis of why online casino revenue rose to a new high in New Jersey when you might expect it to go down slightly with brick and mortar casino back. Um, first of all, this wasn't part of the tweet, but I'll just note that they don't really cannibalize each other. Uh, You're wrong, Sheldon Adelson. That's been pretty well proven at this point. Uh, But the real point here that I saw is that sports is back. People are betting sports on their apps again. And with all these integrated sports slash casino apps, you win on sports, then you lose some or all of it back at blackjack or slots. Mm -hmm. Sports is the rising tide that lifts online casino boats. Um, And I've been ignoring that in my predictions that online casino wouldn't keep rising much from where Mm -hmm. it hit a couple months ago. It actually might, assuming there's an NFL season and people are still mostly staying home or working from home at that time, online casino could have a hundred million dollar month this fall. I could absolutely see that. Um, and, and speaking of some, uh, some predictions, I'm putting it out there now, August prediction, sports betting, $500 million in New Jersey, you know, with, with big NBA games every day, mm-hmm. plus NHL and MLB and a golf major and U S open tennis futures will come in at the end of the month, uh, a mm-hmm. little boxing, MMA, soccer, all that. I think August will have NFL season betting levels in a lot of States. Wow, that, that is uh, interesting. I wouldn't have been that bold, but you're kind of selling me on the point. So now we got something to look forward to. Yeah, and I probably wouldn't have shot that high if New Jersey had come in where people expected in July at like 200 to 250. But because they hit 315, I think 500 is very possible. And I'll just quickly weigh in on the 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 DC thing. I'm I'm fascinated to see where this gambit thing goes, just in terms of what people take away from it, whether 
Oregon and Montana and D.C. and these places with monopolies or bad products from a sports betting perspective. As you point out, if that's not the goal, then it's not a bad product. But as sports betting goes, it's a bad product. Uh, Whether other states are watching and learning from this or are some people saying they have almost a 20 percent hold? It's working. Uh, I guess if the goal is never to be at risk of the books having a losing month, it's a success. Uh, by any other measure, I, I say Gambit DC is flopping as a sports betting app, but uh, it kind of depends on how you look at it, I suppose. Well, don't forget DC has uh, the, the first in the country uh, arena sports betting coming. So right. you can go over the arena and uh, make your own bets there. And that's actually a real uh, partner with William Hill. Right. So it's more of a real sports betting product. And interesting to see interaction. Like I say, different products so i don't think that crushes the story at all i think a lot of players are going to continue to make what you call bets uh, on a lottery and actual sports bettors will go to the arena and the william hill product and i don't think there's that much overlap yeah you you might be right it'll be interesting it's not i mean that the it's a, it's a tricky time for william hill to launch at arenas with uh, no fans at arenas for sports events but you know so we we can't judge it by the initial uh, results i suppose but as a, a longer term thing yeah it's 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 a whole different sort of setup than what uh, the lottery is currently doing yeah the both of them are are unique i would say in a lot of ways so um i'm gonna keep an eye on both All right. Uh, Moving on to our next story. The big news in the sports world this week has been what's going on with college football, where one by one, the conferences are optimistically postponing their schedules to the spring. Uh, The Big Ten, Pac-12, Mountain West and Mac have all pulled the plug on fall football. Several conferences are holding out, including the ACC, Big 12, SEC, American and Conference USA. What does this mean for sports betting? Uh, First off, it means tricky decisions for a lot of sports books in terms of futures bets, as some schools are theoretically going to be in contention for the national title and others aren't. And some players could have a shot at the Heisman and others won't. Uh, Some books are already refunding bets on players or teams that are not going to play. Some books are waiting a while longer. Uh, The bigger question, though, is what this means for the sports books in terms of their bottom lines this fall. How badly will they suffer if there's no college football? I wrote an article last week talking to industry folks about the devastating impact if there's no NFL. And in that article, I touched on college. And the general belief was that as big as college betting is, in most places, bettors will just spend most of that money they would have spent betting on college football betting on the NFL instead, as long as there's an NFL season. Uh, But there are some regions where college football is the main attraction, and sportsbooks there will suffer quite a bit. Uh, Also, uh, one-time Gambleon guest Matt Peralt pointed out in my piece that some of the sharpest pro sports bettors do their best work on obscure college football games, so they'll take a hit if there's no college football to bet on or not much college football to bet on. John, Do you expect that a few conferences will make a go of this and we will have some college football to bet on in the fall? And what's your opinion on how bad it would be for sportsbooks if they have NFL football but no college football? Well, I think, yeah, you hit an exact point, Eric, on kind of depends on the area. Mm -hmm. Uh, My feeling is New Jersey will suffer the least in the entire U.S. because of the fact that they have all they have for football is Rutgers. And you can't even legally bet on them to cover the 38 point spread in the state (laughs) each week. So so no loss there. Um, But in those I states in the Midwest, um, this will be brutal for those sports books. I think, Um, you know, most gambling spending, thankfully, is discretionary income Uh, with no Big Ten. That money gets spent elsewhere. 
but that could just as easily be a weekend getaway or two uh, with the spouse or a bunch mm-hmm. of a nice outdoor socially distant dinners uh, in the fall as it is moving that spending to other wagers like the NFL. Um, as far as the SEC in particular, I can see them delaying a start until October, um, but the cultural sentiment in the region is so all into play, I think, that barring a tragic acceleration of some already worrisome trends, uh, I think they give it a go. You know, may God help us all. Um, <laughs> as for the books, uh, they'll be fine. They'll always be fine. Right. As long as there's NFL. If there's no NFL, they'll be fine. Um, it, it's 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 funny for me to think back on my reaction in March when the Ivy League canceled its end of season tournament and was going mm-hmm. to send Yale, the regular season champion, straight to mm-hmm. March Madness. This was before other sports had, had started being canceled at all in the U.S. And I thought, oh, man, that's awful for those seniors at those other schools who aren't getting their chance. I, I was really feeling bad for, for for them. Fast forward several months with a deeper understanding of the virus and a lot of mental calluses built up in terms of stuff getting canceled. My attitude now is cancel all of college football. I, I do still feel bad for the players, and I know this costs a lot of people a lot of money, but it's almost criminal to send these unpaid kids out there to pass a virus to each other. I mean, you can't expect unpaid college kids to follow quarantine rules and not party. Um, but all that said, I would guess we will see some college football games uh, played this fall. It seems that some schools and conferences, particularly in the South, where it's actually the least safe right now, um, are going to stubbornly proceed. So I'm, I'm aligned with you on, on what's likely to happen, uh, but it also sounds like we're aligned on what probably should happen. Um, but I, I, I think as long as there is NFL, most of the sports books will be just fine. Uh, you know, they'll be down a little from where they would be with college also. But I'm thinking especially if the NFL spreads its product out, uh, you know, a few Saturday games, maybe a Friday night game. Um, I don't think they're going to take my advice and do four bubbles at a time for seven weeks each, but even though they clearly should take my advice, uh, you know, but it, 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 under a setup like that, you could have each bubble have at least one Saturday game each week. I don't know quite how they're going to set it up, but they're probably going to wait and see how much college football there is and how wide open Saturdays are. But if you do have NFL games spread out across four or five days of the week, the sports books will barely miss college football in a lot of states, except as you point out, uh, some of those I states, states like Mississippi, where there's there's no pro team, but college football is a big deal. Um, but certainly New Jersey, <laughs> that's one state that really won't miss a beat without college football. Yeah, for full context, I will uh... Uh, mentioned that uh, I, I got an email from a friend of mine who uh, said the the unpaid college student idea. Um, he wants to send me a copy of his daughter's tuition uh, cost. Uh, that's going on. He's paying right now. Right. Uh, or obviously these these athletes are getting a full ride. Uh, and I remember my my twin brother at one point had three uh, three of his children in school at once. Uh, two at Penn State, one at Northeastern. And um, yeah, that wasn't free. So I, I, that doesn't mean I think they should play football or that. <laughs> they're you know purely unpaid but there is a huge benefit to getting a college football scholarship and getting to uh, you know go to school for free at in in some cases very prestigious academic institutions so uh, there is something there but it doesn't change my overall point but i think it's fair to point out in context yeah no that's a good point okay um, all right. For our final news story this week, let's take a look at a billion dollar gaming industry transaction. 
Billionaire Barry Diller's company, IAC, bought a 12% stake in MGM Resorts for a cool billion bucks. And as you wrote on Sports Handle, John, it was his reason why that was particularly interesting. Diller sees enormous upside in online gaming. The BetMGM site has gotten off to a quiet start, but MGM has access in quite a few states with legal sports betting and or online gaming, so Diller is perhaps buying in at the perfect time. Uh, I'll cede the floor to you, John, to expand on this since you wrote the story and delved into several angles about IAC's business approach. Yeah, I mean, my take is that DraftKings and FanDuel, they have just brilliantly grabbed about three quarters of the market share in mobile sports betting in the early adapting states, with uh, FanDuel even have a bonus of sponsoring the Meadowlands Sportsbook that is a U.S. leader in brick and mortar. Uh, and while Barstool's brand is a bit polarizing for many, and some wonder why more traditional Penn Nationals hooked up, up with them, I still expect them to be a major player in mobile sports betting starting in 2021 as well. So to me, Diller's play is not just about sports betting or mobile mm. sports betting at all. I think it's more about online casino gaming yep. where, you know, FanDuel's and DraftKings are making some good inroads there too. Uh, and I'm impressed by it, but nobody's yet cornered the market. So, you know, Diller's IAC, they take good brands, they rocket them forward and they sell them for a nice profit. I mean, match.com, home shopping network, Delhi beast, S.com, Expedia, TripAdvisor, lending tree. I mean, those companies, tentacles, they extend everywhere. It's really remarkable. So, you know, MGM has been a pretty stodgy brand, frankly, but like Barstool, they have a built-in list of millions and millions of loyal subscribers. Um, you know, Barstool devotees, who, by the way, would never describe themselves as devotees. Uh, <laughs> they're sports bettors. Um, MGM loyalists are casino players, and they are ripe to be wooed to online casino gaming in state after state as this all rolls out. So, uh, you know. I remember a few years ago, I did some stories about Atlantic City real estate and who was buying it up. And, you know, people would say to me, well, you know, why Atlantic City? The, you know, the, the casino industry is one thing, but the city itself, it's terrible. It's never going to work out. And that's like, I don't I don't I don't see it either. But I know that these guys don't do charity. I mean, they do charity, but not not that way. Um, they're buying it for a reason. Mm -hmm. So if even if I can't see the reason, I know that them buying it tells me there's something there. And when Barry Diller buys something, there's something there. So I think this is going to go well for MGM. Yeah, uh, to be clear, uh, they don't call themselves devotees. They call themselves <laughs> stoolies, uh, are, are what the Barstool fans are referred to as, I believe. So, uh, Or maybe to bring it a little closer to devotees, stoolies, we can call them, uh, <laughs> if we want to class it up a little. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the main thing that, that stood out to me that you pointed out in the article and just said again now is that you know, catching up to FanDuel and DraftKings in sports betting is a tough road to hoe for MGM, but that online casino seems to present a more wide open opportunity there. Uh, my random side note on this, I didn't realize until reading your article that Barry Diller is married to designer Diane von Furstenberg. Yes. Um, <laughs> one of my wife's best friends was Diane von Furstenberg's right-hand woman for several years. So uh, what I'm saying is if we want Barry Diller on the podcast, I have a connection. Wow, that would be that would be a I gotta say, <laughs> <laughs> it's you know it's a few degrees of separation. I'm not guaranteeing anything, but huh. not impossible. Yeah, my old roommate used to work for Martha Stewart, but uh, not sure I, I quite have a tie in there. <laughs> <laughs> now, if one comes up though, if she gets involved in in gambling in some way, uh, I expect you to get her on the podcast for us. I'll go for it. <laughs> okay. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
I'm not entirely sure how we made it more than 100 episodes into the run of Gamble On without having this next guest on the podcast, but better late than never, I suppose. He is a noted New York real estate developer, and he is the owner of the Meadowlands Racetrack in New Jersey and Tioga Downs and Vernon Downs Racetracks in upstate New York, as well as Tioga Downs Casino and Vernon Downs Racino. Jeff Gorral, it's overdue, but welcome to Gamble On. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, Jeff, we got to get started for sure on the, I went to Hamiltonian on Saturday and there's so many restrictions on who could attend, but I figure you kind of know some people. So were you able to be there in person? Yes, I was there in person. And And what was it like? uh, It was fine. I mean, you know, it wasn't like previous years. It was less stressful in a sense that in previous years, I'm always worried about, you know, people getting in the shuttles, uh, traffic, uh, so it was in that regard, it was it was actually easier because I, I didn't have to worry about the size of the crowd or the weather. Um, but, uh, you know, so my biggest concern really was, you know, that we followed all the rules that the governor set down and pretty much we did. So it was considering I would say it was a success. Yeah, you know, when people around the country, there's a lot of different um, attitudes, especially in the South and, and, and the West to some extent. Um, but just to get uh, people a sense who are not from the Northeast, um, you know, wh- what was your sense of uh, how the uh, the crowd agree- was agreeable to social distancing and wearing of the masks? I mean, was it a kind of a security challenge or did you sense that people were all pretty much on the same page? Well, I think people wore masks. Um, I think... Uh, a lot of people were there, you know, were, were there. Luckily for us, we have the ability to to have pe- to have dining and watching the races. So we have uh, a deck uh, on the second floor, right outside. We have a couple of decks actually. Uh, so we were able to um, uh, essentially run a restaurant uh, with with the tables spaced out, and um, and you could watch the races either live by walking over to the to the to the rail or watch it on TV. So, uh, and then we had the backyard where we had picnic tables set up, and we have a couple of tents set up. So um, it was uh, it was a good arrangement, actually. Certainly, the the COVID nineteen pandemic has had a massive effect on everything and uh, horse racing included, and it, it hit at a very interesting time in the horse racing world, as just days before everything shut down more than two dozen people in the industry were indicted as part of a doping scandal. It was huge news, but then it quickly disappeared because of the virus taking over all the headlines. Uh, Jeff, I know you've been looking to clean up the sport. So looking back now on the events of March, are the people involved in the scandal and, and the industry as a whole getting off too easy? Or, or will this story resurface, do you think, when things return to normal? I hope it resurfaces. I, I think you're 100% right. It would have been a blockbuster story. I mean, I spent about a half a million dollars of my own money to hire these uh, uh, investigators who were able to get the FBI interested and the U.S. attorney. Um, had it not been for COVID, I think uh, it would have been a blockbuster page one story. I believe uh, the final chapter has not been written. I'm sure that all of the people who were arrested are now offering to cooperate with the government in order to stay out of jail. So anything that they know about who else has been using drugs, I would think that they'll supply that information to the feds. 
the feds also seized the um, hard drive of, of the people they arrested who were involved in selling drugs. So they have that information available. So I think at some point it'll come out, but obviously uh, it's disappointing because I, I really thought we would be able to clean it up. And we have to a certain extent, but I think there's more work to be done. Right. And when the when the indictments were handed down, uh, w- was there anything in there that surprised you or was were the findings pretty much in line with where your suspicions uh, rested on, on a lot of this stuff? Actually, I intentionally told them that I didn't want to know who was who they were investigating because I didn't want to have to lie to anybody who said, you know, I hear you guys are investigating so and so. Right. So, um, but the thing that, that was, you know, not, not a, there was not one name there that was a surprise. Okay. So mm-hmm. when people, you know, talk about, you know, this, that, and the other thing, my immediate reaction is, so let me ask you a question. Was there anybody that was arrested that was a surprise? And the answer is always the same. No, I no, no surprises. But okay. the, the thing is, you have to understand these people would call me, some of them would call me all the time. Why can't I raise? I'm cleaned up my act, this, that, and the other thing. One of the guys uh, I had met with at the Meadowlands about two weeks before he was arrested, and who was there to convince me how honest he was. So, uh, <laughs> you know, nature of the beast, I guess. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jeff, uh, New York Governor uh, Cuomo, you know, he said in March that, and I thought this was really smart, uh, of Connecticut, New Jersey, that when we reopen, we re- reopen together. So residents of one state wouldn't flock to the other that whatever's reopened, whether it's a beach or a casino or a racetrack or, or a bar or anything. And, and yet Connecticut and New Jersey you know, casinos have been open now for a month or two. And New York State uh, casinos remain closed. And you have a casino and a racino yourself. Um, do you have any idea why uh, the governor switched on that? And how is this going to impact your tracks? Yeah, I, I think the governor is solely focused on uh, the number of people dying and keeping the uh, number of people that test positive below 1%. Um, and uh, everything else is unimportant. So um, actually someone in his office yesterday told me that they thought that if they opened the casinos and it caused one person to die, then they would look at it as a mistake. So if that's how you look at it, there's not much I can say. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the biggest disappointment for me is because I support the governor to keep people safe. He's done an amazing job, but by keeping our casinos closed, he's not keeping people safe. It's doing just the opposite because our customers are not waiting for us to open. They're going to other casinos where it's much more likely that there are more people infected than there are in the Southern tier, for example, where we know I follow it. I mean, on a typical day, it's less than 1%. It could be point three tenths of a percent or point. I know uh, I, I saw yesterday Tioga County or the day before I haven't looked today. I think there was one person tested positive out of, you know, a thousand or something. So it's, you'd have to look, it's almost like finding a needle in a haystack to find someone infected who would be going to our casino. Plus we have all of these, you know, safety features, but they've never even told us what they would want us to do. So it's a nightmare, to be honest with you. 
Hmm. Yeah, so with the casino revenue not available to supplement the horse racing purses, I mean, can you can you still operate the tracks down the road? No, we're going to close right after Labor Day. Uh, I've heard that some of the other tracks are going to close. Uh, I, I was told by a, tra- a thoroughbred trainer yesterday that I'm friendly with that they are, that Naira only has enough money t- till the beginning of December and then they're going to close. So uh, the breeders are, are are screwed. There won't be money for the sire stakes. It's catastrophic um, damage to the horse racing industry in New York. All right. Well, last thing, Jeff, hopefully ending on a on a, a more upbeat note here. Uh, if, if you don't mind doing a little story time, uh, I'm curious for how, how did you get into the horse racing and casino businesses in the first place? Well, I got into horse racing, believe it or not, when I was growing up on Long Island, horse racing was more popular than football and baseball. So the racetracks was a place to go. Everybody went, all, all of us when we were in high school, even though it was illegal to bet until you're 21, we used to, you know, hope they didn't ask us our age. And we used to love to go. And I lived near Roosevelt and Aqueduct and Belmont. And uh, that was what, that was something to do. Um, and, uh, I fell in love with it. And, you know, I always thought, Oh, I'd love to be an owner or something of horses, not racetracks. And, uh, so, you know, eventually that, that happened and um, I got into breeding. Uh, my wife, actually, I, I was helping because I'm a big Democrat um, and I knew some of the political people and they had come to me and said, can you help us convince the politicians to allow slots at the racetrack? And I said, yeah, I'll try. And I called in some people I knew and arranged some meetings, went up to Albany. And then one day my wife said to me, why are you doing all of that? You don't own a racetrack. So then I tried to buy a racetrack and actually uh, I thought I had Saratoga harness board and it fell through. And then uh, I thought I bought Vernon and that fell through a little subsequently. And then uh, my mother was from Binghamton and someone said, would you like this a track to Yoga Downs, which was not a track I'd ever heard of because it wasn't operating and and it's, it's near Binghamton, and I took a ride up there to look it over and uh, and basically focus focus on, uh, you know, getting a racino. And then as far as becoming a casino, you know, we, we, we I was part of the group that lobbied the state to put that on the ballot, and uh, it passed, and, uh, and, you know, we were able to get casinos. So um, it's... it's it's, it's something that made logical sense because you're not going to make money in the horse racing business. So um, that's what happened. And, and everything was going very well until the virus hit and absolutely destroyed everything. Um, it, this is really a nightmare for me, to be honest with you. Uh, right. And I don't know where this leads. I mean, you know, when, when you listen to the governor say it's not uh, essential, I, I, I agree with them. It's not essential. Having said that, all the other governors have opened the casinos, and the Indians or tribes have opened. So it, it would be it'd be he'd be right if every casino was closed. And you could say, well, it's not essential. Why take a chance? But since every casino is open except all four, and the casinos, then 
it makes no sense. Everybody's going to another casino. And more, you know, if you're going to a casino in Atlantic City, you don't know who's going to be there. If there's one in Wilkesbury where there's a, a, a meatpacking plant a few miles from the track, that's not good. And then you have the tribal casinos who, you know, follow their own rules. So I think that the governor's intent was right, but I don't think he thought it out. And I don't think his advisors have been giving him good, good advice either. Right. Well, hopefully there will be some sort of change of heart there uh, before it's too late for for some of those properties. Uh, and um, of course, with you know, with proper safety measures in place, other states have shown that uh, that it it can be done. So hopefully, fortunes will turn around. But I guess uh, it's kind of out of your hands. It sounds like. Sure is. So I agree with you. Let's hope for the best. I mean, certainly we don't want to see anyone get sick, but but I think it's obvious that you can. Uh, operate a casino at a reduced capacity and do it safely for your customers. They're coming to gamble. They're not coming to socialize. So it's not the same as worrying about a group of people, you know, in a, in a wedding or a, or a sporting event. They're, just, they're coming to gamble. They'll be happy to leave their mask on and push the button. And when they run out of money, they'll go home. Or if they hit a jackpot, they'll take their money and go home. So right. it's very discouraging. Right. All right. Well, uh, we, we do appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. It's been really uh, interesting talking to you and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll have you back again uh, under, under happier circumstances uh, sometime, uh, hopefully in the not too distant future. You got it. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Bye. Right. Thanks Jeff. Two men, $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the gamble on bankroll. Lots of results to go over this week, and we did very well with last week's bets, but poorly with futures bets that wrapped up in the past week. Uh, Let's start with those futures. John's $50 on the Maple Leafs to win the Stanley Cup is gone, Mm. and my $109 on the Nets under two and a half wins was gone after just five games. As for last week's bets, John broke just about even on golf. His $100 on Xander Schauffele for the top 10 returned $108 $108 with Shoffley in a three-way tie for 10th through 12th, uh, but he lost $25 on Shoffley to win the PGA Championship. Meanwhile, I went two for two with no goals in the first 10 minutes of Flyers versus Caps. That was good for $110 profit, and Yusuf Nurkic over 17.5 points. We won $100 on that. That means, on the whole, our bankroll grew by $34 last week. <laughs> so we're up by 365 uh, and we have $840 on hold in futures bets, and that leaves us with $9,525 available to bet with. And I'm up first. And I see one NBA futures price that I love. Uh, Now, we already have two bets down on the Clippers to win the title, uh, one at an amazing price, one at a lesser price. I won't dwell on whose bet is whose. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, I see another futures bet that doesn't conflict with that at all. And it's the Toronto Raptors at plus 375 to win the Eastern Conference. I'm typically hesitant to make any bet that could potentially leave me rooting against my Sixers. But at this point... What the hell? It ain't going to be the Sixers year. Uh, The Raptors, meanwhile, are priced at a a mediocre plus 280 at FanDuel and plus 300 at DraftKings. But at both points bet and Fox bet, I found 
that much better price of plus 375 to win the East. That's an implied 21% chance. I think they win the conference more than 21% of the time. I'd say their real chance is about 30%. Uh, Mm -hmm. First off, they've been the most consistent team all season long, a real team out to prove they can do it without Kawhi. And they've been succeeding all year pre bubble and during the bubble where they're six and one, they're just the least likely team in the East to fall apart. Uh, second, the bucks really haven't looked great in the bubble. They're just three and four. They infamously lost to the Nets C team. Uh, they lost uh, straight up to Toronto uh, and third, Toronto gets a walk in round one against Brooklyn. Uh, now, I'm a little concerned about the possible round two matchup with Boston. I, I would say the Celtics are my next favorite bet to win the East at the at the price they're at. But I think when the chips are down, I trust this Raptors team more. And I really like the plus 375 price. So let's bet $60 to win 225 on the Raptors to get to the NBA Finals. Yeah, I, I like the coaching there, and, and uh, that's mm-hmm. uh, kind of implied in all you say. Um, I'm so glad to get that embarrassing Leafs bet out of the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, my my favorite part of it is I didn't realize I'd only bet 50 bucks on it, but just yeah. a ridiculous bet. I mean, I'll never make that mistake again. I <laughs> don't even know what I was thinking back in October. But um, in the golf, yeah, X-Men got chopped to bits in the uh, near the end. Uh, the solo ninth finisher and his two fellow 10th place finishers each birdied the final hole, and uh, Shoffley did not. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, stung a bit on a plus 225 bet and i think i'm on a 10 and 4 heater on my golf picks uh, although perhaps a dedicated subscriber is keeping perfect score for me and i'd appreciate <laughs> that um i did notice that my typical play is of course is a top 20 pick and mm-hmm. invariably finish in the top 10 and now i go for a top 10 and i get chopped on it so <laughs> i'm going back to top 20 this week and uh give me harris english at 100 at plus 150 to place in the top 20 at the lowbrow Wyndham championship event in north carolina um, English places well in the are these real PGA Tour golfer names with Bryson DeChambeau, Jason Headley, and Charles <laughs> Howell III? And yes, and yes, and yes. <laughs> uh, he's pretty boring, but he has four top 20s in a row, and he loves his course, and it's a weak field, so I like the number. Okay. Um, so uh, for my second bet, I really wanted to do some kind of parlay of NBA teams that need to win today, uh, Thursday, uh, to stay alive in the West. Um, I was thinking Blazers over Nets is a near lock, but it's like minus 450. So I definitely wanted to combine it with something uh, like maybe Grizzlies over Bucks. Uh, that's a, would bring the parlay to about plus 125 or Suns over Mavericks would bring the parlay to about minus 150. Or I could do all three at a little over plus 200. But I know how much you hate parlays, John. And uh, <laughs> I can see one of those teams not the blazers but one of the other two finding a way to lose so uh instead uh just for you i will do a a straight bet instead of a parlay Mm -hmm. i'm taking devin booker over 30.5 points as he tries to carry the suns into the play-in games Uh, you have to pay minus 120 to take the over but i feel good about it he's hit for exactly 35 points in his last three games in a row and four of the last five. Uh, They're playing against a Dallas team with nothing to play for that doesn't play great defense, especially on the perimeter. So let's bet 120 to win 100 on Devin Booker over 30 and a half points. All right, sounds good. Uh, I'm I'm only going fifty dollars on, on this uh, this one at plus one fifty on the Blue Jackets to knock off the Lightning in Game Two on Thursday because uh, my second power outage in a week didn't leave me time to do the research. But <laughs> anecdotally, my sense is that 
after a five overtime win in game one by the Lightning, and this is not just true for hockey either. You know, the betting public figures, the winner of this marathon is energized and the loser is so demoralized. So, you know, stick with the winner. But I don't think that's proven to be true. I think it goes the other way. The team that lost has got a little bit more uh, to go for. So hence my tentative bet there. Yeah, I, I like that. I like Columbus in this series. I actually bet them uh, at plus 185 or so to win the series. So I was very disappointed with the way that that five overtime game turned out. But these teams seem pretty evenly matched. So plus 150 for a single game is a good price. I like it. And that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Jeff Corral. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And with that, John, the floor is yours. Please take us out. Yeah, well, thanks to a sort of a silly DraftKings promotion the other day. Uh, I have one week, and I guess you do too, to make yeah. a $74 house money bet, so no risk here. Uh, the numbers are the same for anyone who bet on the Lakers-Nuggets game the day, whether you won the bet or not, and whether you bet a dollar or $1,000. Um, so loyal followers know that as a son of Great Depression survivors, I'd be literally betting $70 even on a game already knew the outcome. But maybe <laughs> something can go wrong or... I thought it was. I just like seventy four dollars. Like I can't lose it, you know. Um, but here I am, and they say write what you know. But I also think you bet what you know. So I know golf betting. Um, second place in my sharp, uh, sharp heavy season long pool this year as I try to repeat, and my picks on gamble on aren't too shabby either, as noted. Uh, so the first bet I look at was Justin Rose to win. $74 of house money to win $1,480. <laughs> I mind reels. And I wait, Brendan Todd, Brendan Todd is uh, on a hot streak and uh, he's won twice already this year um, for $2,590. <laughs> South African Brendan Grace, I think is a sleeper here. $7,400 mm. on a free bet. Are you kidding me? But I'm just not hardwired that way. Yep. <laughs> and so that's what I think is good about this uh, this bet for everybody from the smallest to the largest player is that you get a chance to, you know, think about your uh, risk tolerance, um, sort of a uh, risk aversion stock market wise. And and here we go. So I look at my beloved top 20. So ARP member Jim Furyk can still compete in a short course like this. Top 20 for two hundred ninety six dollars. Interesting. Um Sung M or Sergio Garcia. Uh, Sergio needs a good result to qualify for the FedEx Cup playoffs the next week. A top 20 for a $148 windfall. That's pretty sweet, I think. Um, so what's my play? Uh, I picked a tournament favorite, Webb Simpson, for a mere top 20 and a mere $56.80 payout. Um, as I said, that's how I'm, I'm hardwired. But if, if he does win... The bet does win anyway. Uh, I feel frisky enough to drop $20 or so on a 25 to 1 shot, let's say, at the Masters in November. Maybe. And with that, until next time, everybody, gamble on.